You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson. He's Money Mainville. We got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about it from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. If you want to gear up for next football season, 250 some odd days away, you can do so at Cardinal Sports Center. Baseball season also right around the corner. It's midway through the basketball season. We're storming the Capitol January 6th to start conference play. You can gear up at Cardinal Sports, mycardinalsports.com, or in person right outside the Loop Slide Road. Basketball season is going on already. Beating a Ken Palm 3000 team this weekend, Vanderbilt. Uh, I thought you were going to get a little dicey there in the second half when they were storming back a little bit, but after the big run to start, you had a big run to finish in the second half and kind of played coast to coast there in the second, which you hadn't done yet this year, in my opinion. Yeah, obviously, first 10-ish minutes of the game, you looked very much in control. Pop Isaacs knocks down back-to-back shots that look really good um you know looking like himself in a neutral side game and dfw very similar to what he did and didn't and then you kind of lost some of that offensive gas um obviously vanderbilt chips into it a little bit um before halftime and then after the break you come out a little slow but then i think really you just kind of laid into them you made the right adjustments joe toussaint continues to be a player who just wins you basketball games in any way that he can um, and then we'll talk about Kerwin Walton, I'm sure, for an extended amount of time because he has once again had a tremendous performance. He's proving to be one of Texas Tech's best players right now. There's really no other way around it. And it, it's really impressive to see what he's doing. And really, I think this team as a whole is making adjustments, even in the face of big injuries to pivotal guys like Devin Cambridge, I think. You're continuing to see the offense kind of adjust and adapt, try and figure out what works and what isn't going to work. And I think that's still what you've got, you know, three more games for. Um, but I think overall, you beat a team that you should have. Um, you didn't let them hang around to the very end. You eventually kind of put your foot on the gas and took them out of it. But overall, I think a, a good win for Texas Tech on a neutral site um, against, unfortunately, a team that's going to end up being pretty bad, it looks like. What do you think about uh, game two in the the post-Cambridge era of just Washington and Jennings getting minutes and really nobody else, YH, uh, Kyron Lindsay, even up 20, you don't put a bunch of those guys in for lengthy time periods. Yeah, I think that was uh, an interesting thing to watch. I think you kind of wanted to see some of that over these non-conference games, and especially in Fort Worth, Darion Williams really struggled. Uh, I think he had five turnovers in that game. I'd posted some tweets on our Twitter account about you know how he was kind of operating the offense out of the mid to low post, and he's got really good playmaking vision to do that out of the post. But it felt like in this game, his passing lanes kept getting shot. You know, he was maybe seeing the pass, but not really seeing the defender. 
And so I think I would have been intrigued to see Kyron Lindsay, you know, play for more than the last minute of the game, you know, some more EY minutes. Um, but I think that's still the biggest question mark of this team. And it seems like the staff is pretty much content on saying, all right, we're going to be essentially too deep in the front court and we're going to surround those two with whatever it takes to be successful. Kyle, I know you were uh, independencing this weekend, but did you catch any of the game? Um, only saw a little bit of the first half. They're in the, uh, the casino. No, in like the saddest bar I've ever been in in my life. <laughs> Shreveport was dead, I heard. It, I, I don't know, man. It was weird. I think there's just like certain spots where you should go and like certain spots. Like we tried two or three different bars. We were like just asking around like, hey, we're just looking for some appetizers and some TVs. Is there a good place to go? And people were like, oh, yeah, like go up here. And we'd pop in and there's like, two TVs in the whole place. And they're like on, I think there's some NFL games on cause it was Saturday. And so then we'd ask them like, Hey, is there another place? And they're like, yeah, go around the corner here. And we did. And then we walk in, we're the only three people in the bar. There's one employee. Uh, she's the bartender. She can't cook any food. She's like, yeah, sorry. My cook is running late. And we're like, okay, <laughs> uh, she doesn't have ESPN plus. So we're like sitting there watching it on our phone. It was just kind of a bizarre experience. Gotta love Shreveport. At least uh, towns like that are, are making a killing getting bowl games in there. Just the uh, thousands and thousands of people in attendance there at uh, the Shreveport Independence Bowl. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't get a good read on how many Tech fans were there. I mean, did, did you all see any shots on TV that might have? I was just like sitting high up, and so I couldn't get a good read on it. It was close-up shots of everyone and okay. who knows who's who. and uh, They didn't really pan the crowd in my opinion, on the TV shot. Gotcha. Cal was a few thousand, like, you know, like I thought it would be. And I got to say, it, it was cold, too. And I was like, man, I have a lot of respect for these fans, assuming they're from somewhere on the West Coast, to fly to Shreveport, Louisiana, to freeze their butts off, to watch, like, you know, the fourth bowl game of bowl season, you know, two six and six teams. So I, I imagine it probably wasn't that great of an experience in the end for them, but I, I respect the effort from the, I guess, hundreds of fans that made the trip for Cal. I I don't, I don't know what a good comparison would be for Tech fans. Um, I don't know, I guess if there was like a bowl game out in some town you've never heard of, South Carolina, against, you know, a 6-6 six and six team. I feel like it takes a pretty diehard fan to, to travel that far for that, so... I don't know. I'd be curious what our attendance was if it wasn't a couple hours from DFW in Houston. But I, I would say just from my vantage point, I don't know. I couldn't even venture guess how many Tech fans were there. But it was a stronger showing than I thought it would be. And um, they announced 33,000 in the stadium, which, like, everybody kind of turned to each other and laughed. That there was not – that would have been half full. And, like, there's no way that place was half full. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyway, I have no idea what the final number was. Uh, next basketball game is uh, next Thursday, so we'll talk about uh, that one on Wednesday. Uh, the Lady Raiders do play before that, but uh, they're undefeated. They look good. They do look good. Uh, we'll recap that game on Wednesday. Let's move on to the bowl game. The Independence Bowl, first off, hell of a trophy. 
I did not know the Independence Bowl was working like this. Uh, Sweet Eagle. It was uh, double tiered, maybe even triple tiered with an American flag flying underneath the Eagle. Uh, just a sick ass trophy, in my opinion. Um, Texas Tech nightmare start, uh, but a good recovery and dominated the second half as the defense has done in several games this year. I wouldn't say all season, but in several games this year, you kind of turn around and turn it up in the second half defensively. Uh, Kyle, you were there. Uh, how was the the sideline, the the atmosphere, and uh, what did you think about Loic Fungi catching a touchdown in the transfer portal? Well, when it when it started and the first play from scrimmage was a touchdown pass after a fumbled kick return, I I had that moment. I was like, "What am I doing here? <laughs> Why did I choose to spend my weekend driving to Shreveport, paying you know three times the cost of the actual ticket in StubHub fees?" Um, I, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't like pessimistic about the game. I mean, there's so much clock left. I was like, you know, we saw plenty of time, but literally could not have drawn up a, a worse start than that. So that sort of sense of dread, I was like, are we about to sit here for three hours and watch Cal just blow us out of the water um, to finish with a losing season? And thankfully, pretty much everything after that was all tech. I know it was bad field position there, but I, I feel like we need to have a conversation about Tim DeRuiter defenses giving up touchdowns within like the opposing offense's first three plays from scrimmage happened against Texas last year, happened against Kansas state and Oklahoma state last year. It happened on Saturday against Cal. I feel like I'm blanking on a couple others. And of course he's incredible at the halftime adjustments and the defense seemingly always gets better and better as the game goes on in most instances. But, man, I wish we could find a way to not, like, automatically go down 7-0 to start a game against a, a quality opponent. So I don't, I don't know what that is, if that's just the other team scripting really well on offense or, or what the deal is there. But I hope we – it's, like, it's nitpicky because overall very happy with the defense. But that's, like, one thing I would maybe want to clean up on that side of the ball. Um, I'll be honest, I don't know why guys like Fungi and Valdez were playing. I unless there's some sort of reasoning that isn't well understood by the fans right now, I, it's just hard for me to justify giving guys like that playing time over younger, kind of like redshirt freshman types that, I mean, this is more or less an exhibition game. Like, sure. You want to win it. It's a much better, better experience for the players, coaches, everyone involved, the fans, if Texas tech wins, but it, I don't know. Like if I'm one of those guys that, isn't getting reps because Fungi or Valdez is I'm standing on the sideline going like, why do they bring me to Shreveport? Why am I standing in the cold out here? If they're not going to let me get some reps. So, and I think based on a couple other fans I've talked to in the, in the bleachers, sort of the same sentiment there. So I'm curious if y'all have an alternate take there, but I, I wasn't a fan personally. Uh, there is the sentiment out there that Valdez and Fungi are only halfway out that they might return. And so you let them play in the bowl game because they might come back, but I'm with you. Uh, I am just baffled that Bryson Denell can't find six carries this season, especially in this bowl game. Uh, and everything you say about Anquan Willis all off season, how he doesn't get a single touch this year. Um, 
and Taj Brooks, your bell cow, your prize, is running, you know, 10, 15 times in the fourth quarter after he comes up woozy, put him in the ice bath. You're up 20. You do not need Taj Brooks in the second half of that bowl game. Let him rest. He can get all his yards next year. Let's see some of these freshmen. Isn't that why we're playing this bowl game? So we can see some of the young guys. That's what we did on defense. Why do we not do it on offense? I don't understand. Uh, I'm not opposed to Valdez and Fungi playing in the game. Uh, I thought it was funny that he caught a touchdown. <laughs> I think he had six touches this year and three touchdowns, including the punt, the punt block. So uh, pretty efficient there. But uh, yeah, I I uh, I wouldn't have played him. I think you win the game without him. But I would have done a lot of things differently last night, uh, and that includes not playing Tosh Brooks in the fourth quarter and letting some of these younger guys get reps. Yeah, I guess that's another caveat I would add is like if the game is in the balance and we're trying to win it, okay, play your best guys. But yeah, once it's 31 to 14 and Cal hasn't scored in like 40 minutes of game clock, like are we going to blow a 20 point lead by letting Anquan Willis touch the ball or by letting Kelby Valson run one route? Yeah, you're not burning any red shirts. The bowl game doesn't count. Yeah, like those three red shirt freshman receivers or the true freshmen that were red shirting this year, Kelby Valson, uh, West and Crest. Yeah. I don't think any of those three played a single snap. No. And like, again, I want to give guys like Xavier White an opportunity to go out playing a bunch of snaps. They've, they've earned that. But you got a player who's literally in the portal catching touchdown passes. And I'm thinking, like, why is that not Aiken or McRae or Valson or whoever else? And I I get what people are saying in the comments, like, well, yeah, maybe they'll come back and Joey's trying to help them get taped for the portal. Like, okay. But you have guys that are definitely coming back, guys who aren't in the portal, and you want them to develop as well. So, like, we're trying to – it's kind of like helping Oregon State facilitate a rivalry game when we couldn't even facilitate one of our own in the Big 12 scheduling matrix. And now we're supposed to kind of throw a lifeline to Loic Fungi, get him some game tape when there are guys that are going to be on our squad next year for sure that aren't in the portal who could have taken that rep instead. So I, I think it's kind of a bad look, honestly. You any thoughts there, Mainville? Well, I think on the topic of playing young guys, I think you saw that really pay off for you on defense. I mean, one of your – best players defensively outside of Jacob Rodriguez obviously was Amir Washington who just had a phenomenal game was everywhere on the defensive line and so I think when you're looking for for guys like that like who's on the bottom of my depth chart who's listed at like three or four deep that you know is going to be at one or two next year like hey can we get him some reps here just try and figure out you know how does he look against this scheme how does he look in open space I think that's that's something I would have liked to see, especially in the fourth quarter. There's a comment about Taj Brooks looking kind of hurt in the fourth quarter. I think something did ding him up. I couldn't tell if it was like his arm or his chest, but it was pretty obvious that he was hurting for a little while um, and then took a tackle where he kind of like held his arm and then walked over to the sideline. And on the broadcast, you could see Zach Kitley like very visibly like cutting him off of the game. And he didn't play after that. And like it's that was the moment where it was decided, all right, now we're going to kind of let him take a back seat. But then it's Cameron, Cameron Valdez that is taking those carries, you know, not Bryson Donnell or any of the other young running backs on this team, where I think that's a question mark for you is like who gives spot carries to your team when Taj Brooks is out. 
I, I think that's a really valid question to ask right now, especially with Valdez, you know, potentially or maybe not being gone. And so I think that's something I would have liked to see a little bit more, um, you know, maybe even not from just the standpoint of let's get these guys extra reps, but just like, who are we missing? Like, who can we put in the game? Who's been at three or four deep? And can we just like get some, get some film on them, give them something to work on this off season, have something on our, on our scout sheet to, to work on over the next few months. I think, I think that's probably the direction I would have gone, but overall, you know, a 20 point win didn't end up biting you too hard. Uh, I think heading into conference play, I want to give into Amir Washington, who, by the way, third on the third on the team in sacks. He played two games, had three sacks in one game. Uh, but go back to pre uh, prior to maybe the Baylor game, or even heading into the West Virginia game at the start of Big Twelve play. Somebody asked in the mailbag, uh, over under three and a half sacks for Steve Linton in Big Twelve play. And Kyle and I both said, you know, probably under. Uh, he hasn't produced yet, doesn't have a sack yet. Uh, it doesn't get easier in Big 12 play. And then he had three against Baylor. And Kyle and I both said, hey, hey, hammer the over. He had three against Baylor. He'll get another one. Didn't get another sack all year. Uh, didn't play in a couple of games. I think he played in eight complete games. Uh, but then you have Amir Washington had three sacks in one game in the bowl game. Uh, should he have played more? No, probably not. You, you like that red shirt. You like him coming up, but, uh, very confident in the production of the interior defensive line in the absence of Hutchings and Bradford moving forward. I, I really think they have some dudes there, uh, including Buda Banks and, uh, Amir Washington, who both had really good games. I think Joseph Adetere, who now only has two years of eligibility after having to play the first two seasons here, but I, uh, I'm a fan of the middle interior uh, defensive line. Uh, now you have to start looking at the interior offensive line. More portal news that we'll get to after the uh, bowl game action. But uh, there was one sequence that uh, got a lot of ire in the Gambling Gauchos Discord. Uh, really lit up like a Christmas tree at the end of the first half when... You had two timeouts and like a minute left. You get inside the 15 and you throw it three times and then kick a field goal. Uh, some upset Red Raiders there that you didn't run the ball at all. Um, overall, how do you think the offense went? And do you think uh, Zach Kitley alleviated any of the pressure on his name with a 30-point output in the bowl game i generally try to take the like optimistic stance on stuff and i hate to be a wet blanket here the final score is great but you missed at least i think two that i remember i haven't done the rewatch yet like two really good opportunities when you had cal pin deep and their punter stunk by the way and you inherit the ball like right at midfield and do nothing with it you had a turnover that you turned it right back over one play later you're playing the 125th ranked pass defense or something like that I mean, i'm not exaggerating they're like 120 something in pass defense cal was and you average six yards per attempt with allegedly now a, a fully healthy quarterback that's at least what the coaches said like six yards per attempt is not good against anybody it's certainly not good against 
a dreadful pass defense. So, like, you see some individual performances, like Koy Aiken, okay, awesome. And, like, other than the one pick from Morton, I think pretty efficient game. Uh, but, no, like, at scale, if we're averaging six yards per pass attempt next year, once that evens out and you're playing a not atrocious pass defense um, and you don't win the turnover battle four to one, or I guess it was four to two with the special teams one, um, that's going to catch back up to you. And how much better can Taj Brooks be next year than he was this year? Five and a half yards per carry, 1,500 plus yards or whatever he wound up with. Like he, I'm not saying he's going to drop off a lot, but it's not going to get much better than that. Like that's about um, a reasonable ceiling you can expect from any Division One running back. So, no, I, I still think a lot needs to improve. And that's like, had you asked me before the game, hey, if we win by 20, are you going to be feeling better or worse? I'd be like, oh, yeah, probably a lot better. But I look at some of those statistical data points and like, no, six yards per attempt is not good against a team like Cal. Um, and then, yeah, then like just zeroing down to individual sequences and play calls. On that sequence you're talking about, I'm fine with the fade to Tharp. He's six nine. You had him you had them kind of, I think, out of alignment, and so he's one on one with the corner. Sure. And the guy mugged him. Yeah. But then on second down to run like a speed sweep with a receiver to throw it to your quarterback, there has to be five hundred plays in the playbook better than that in that spot, especially with timeouts. Like you can just hand the ball off. Baron got mugged too, by the way. Sure, but like that is completely beside the point. It's still yeah, stupid. I know. I know. Like if you're dancing in the middle of an intersection and a car runs a red light, they're yeah. in the wrong, but so are you, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. On I, third down. I think there are some gripes on. And I think before you got down there, before the play to Tharp, I think it was a running clock. And I remember saying call timeout, call timeout to preserve as much and open up the playbook you could run or pass. They didn't. They let it run. And then I think we called a timeout when the clock was stopped after second down to dial up the crappy third down screen pass call. Yep. So it's just like the order in which we use those timeouts, the play calls, it's all way off to me. And it costs you four points in a game that you won by 20. So like, it's not that big of a deal, but I think it's symptomatic of some bigger problems that still seem to be persistent. You're not making a move. Um, Obviously, it's way too late for that. Even though some coaches are are moving around, uh, I saw Sean Bell, the Baylor coach, moving to Houston. That's a big get for Willie Fritz. I wonder if he'll coach uh, quarterbacks or tight ends. Um, but yeah, I just I all the things I want to see, and you can't put it in in two weeks. You're not going to change your offense in two weeks to to get into the Independence Bowl, but. There are things I want to see next year from this offense that if I don't see them, I just don't see a year four for Zach Kitley here at Texas Tech. Um, and that's uh, a more diverse running attack. It's scheming guys open. It's using the middle of the field. It's getting back into the mesh points uh, that you just don't see very often. Uh, I did enjoy some wide receivers breaking tackles at the edge which you hadn't done all season. Uh, those throws to the sideline look a lot better when Xavier White shakes one guy and gets six yards instead of negative two. Um, but this offense is just not dynamic. And you see that with six and a half yards per attempt. 
I'll pivot to the positives here in a second, but I have one more gripe. And I've griped about it all season. But the momentum-killing decision to go tempo, always for like zero or negative one yards, is so infuriating. When two or three idiots like me in the stands are watching it, it's like, okay, we just gas him for 20, 25 yards. It's like, here we go. Like in the blink of an eye, it's going to be second and 10. And sure enough, we tempo, tempo, tempo up to the line, get stuffed, and now it's second and 10. And I do not understand the impulse to do that over and over and over. Like even if you think it's a good strategy in theory, by the time you've run that all season long and it's worked for you about 5% of the time, at what point do you start questioning? Maybe we shouldn't do that after every single chunk play. And I've said this to go hurry up if you want to keep their personnel on the field and make sure they can't sub, but hurry up to the line and then like look back, get a sign and run the offense based on the look we get. But instead it's just like, let's do what everybody in the stadium knows we're going to do. Tempo, 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 right up the gut stuffed every single time. And if we ever added a wrinkle off of that or got creative with it and made it work, I would shut up about it, but we just never do. Like a play action. Yeah, or like a, a hard count when they think you're going to go tempo. And we did get them with a hard count a couple of times, not in those instances. It's like, hey, everybody thinks we're going tempo here. So let's give them a really hard count, try to draw them off size, and you get a free play or whatever. I would love that. But we just don't ever add a wrinkle or build off of that at all. And it's, again, everybody in the stadium knows we're about to get zero yards when we go tempo in that spot. And we do. And like it makes you seem like a sidekick. But it's just history repeating itself over and over again. It's even more frustrating when that goes all the way back to Cliff. Cliff did that so much. And I guess that's where Kitley learned, obviously. So uh, it's the worst parts of Cliff have kind of reared their head here with the Kitley era. Uh, there are positives. There are positives. I, I think you had some good plays. I thought Baron Morton had his best game of the year. Um, in spots, I thought he missed a wide open receiver when he threw his uh, interception. But there are things to build on in this offense, and I think it is as you, you know, up the talent pool there at the wide receiver position and and on the offensive line and around Baron Morton, you get Tosh Brooks back. I, I do think there is still some kind of opportunity here. I just. I, it's hard for me to see it after this season. It really is. But do you see any positives last night offensively? Can you save us? Yeah, I mean, in our preview episode, we had talked a little bit, or I mentioned Cal having one of the funniest stats in college football, which is that they were like second in forced turnovers, but also like second to last in committed turnovers. Um NFCS and I think last night you won the turnover battle it was your second take three game of the season with the first being against Tarleton State so I think that's now nine forced turnovers in your last two bowl games because I believe you forced five against Ole Miss Um, and so I think that's definitely you know something that I'm sure was talked about all week I thought you know the interception on offense was just a really bad read quite frankly and I think Zach Kitley and I'm sure Baron Morton knew that after looking at it, he had a wide open uh, look on the post and instead through that kind of go route, which was not there. Um, and then obviously you had the fumble 
on the kick return, which was crazy. Like the kicker completely wipes out on the opening kickoff and he's the one to receive the fumble. Like he recovers the fumble after he just absolutely bites. it. I think I was watching basketball on my laptop um, and I just turned football onto the TV. Cause there was still like two minutes left in the basketball game. And I was like, man, like, should I, should I put football on the laptop? Like, is it, is it going to be this kind of game? Like, did we really just cough that one up? But ultimately I think those two being your only turnovers of the game and you had Cal's quarterback in an absolute hell. I mean, he was, he was lost last night and obviously, you know, you could look to the offensive coordinator change. Obviously they're making a lot of adjustments on their end, dealing with their own portal stuff, but he looked lost. And if there's a defensive coordinator that I feel good about taking advantage of that, it's Tim DeRuiter and just kind of his philosophy and pressuring the quarterback, making them uncomfortable and then kind of allowing the secondary to clean up on those mistakes. And so I think doing what you did in the turnover margin, even though I think it only ended up at, at plus two, that was still a big deal to force four. Um, and that gave you obviously more points than you would have had. And it gave you points that you needed because your offense, you know, wasn't always clicking, especially at the beginning of the game. I, I was actually okay with Baron Morton missing that read and throwing to Dre McRae because I had a, player prop on McCray going over 29 and a half yards and over 39 and a half yards. And we needed one more catch in that spot. And so I actually liked that Morton was willing to give him a shot there. Didn't work out. Um, hit two out of five props for a whopping uh, net gain of $5 on $100 wagered. Nice. Lost the $100 money line bet on Cal. Little emotional hedge. I was like, look, if I'm going to drive to Shreveport, Sit out here in the cold and watch Tech lose. I'm going to make $138 doing it. Glad I didn't have to collect that. Um, but, yeah, I I think uh, Morton had some really good throws. And, again, I'm taking all this with a grain of salt because Cal is so bad at defending the pass. But Aiken was covered on a couple of those, and he's just a really good receiver in terms of winning those 50-50 balls. And he and Morton seem to have really good chemistry with one another. So his emergence, I guess, since Baylor onward. So that was that would have been game five onward. Um, he's really done pretty well for himself in what has otherwise been a pretty limited offensive passing attack. Uh, he's kind of been a bright spot. They clearly go to him on third down a lot. They love that back shoulder to Aiken, and he's really good at executing that. They threw a lot of slants to him on third and five-ish, and we seem to convert a bunch of those. So I'm excited for him to hopefully take the next step next year Thought it was a good play call, good read, good throw when Morton went off his back foot to Tharp there. Great touch on that pass. And uh, so, like, you see throws like that and you go, yeah, like, we seem to have talent here. The scheme can work. It's just you don't seem to, like, execute it well enough for 80 plays over the course of a game. So you do see bright spots like that. I think Morton was sacked in the second quarter, and that was the only sack that we surrendered. And so – Maybe a bit of a patchwork offensive line with with Monroe Mills obviously not playing. And again, I haven't done the rewatch, but I'm really curious to go back and like one of the individual players I want to keep an eye on is Ty Buchanan, a guy that might be thrust into one of those starting tackle spots next year and just see how he did. Um, it certainly didn't seem like he was just getting his ass kicked all night. If if he was, we probably would have been seeing Morton under a lot more duress than he was. Um, 
And, you know, Taj didn't have his best game, like statistically. I mean, he still put up, I think, 80-something, 90-something yards. 98. 98, okay. Um, but Cal, you know, coming in, we mentioned this on the preview episode, allowing fewer than four yards per carry all season, and that's in a pretty good Pac-12 with, with some good offenses there. So didn't necessarily expect Taj to go for like six yards per carry or anything like that. Um, so anyway, I do think there are some positives. I'm not trying to be all negative Nancy and – Maybe when we zoom out a little bit and talk maybe season recap stuff, I think I have some more positives. I don't know if they'll move the needle for people that are just underwhelmed relative to maybe expectations coming into the season. But I think, like, compared to recent history, they should be viewed as some bright spots. Taj Brooks had five receptions. You want to venture a guess on how many receiving yards he had? Zero. Minus three. Minus three. If you want to give the ball to Taj Brooks, turn around and hand it off. I used to always say that about Sardar Thompson. Wait, that, we don't run slow delay. Look left, throw right to the sideline. Throw to Taj Brooks never works. We didn't. We haven't run screens well for two years. Yeah, and I'm not even talking about the quick quote unquote screen to the sideline. I'm talking about when you're trying to like suck them into blitzing, and then like hitting a. Like Crabtree, Alex Torres were so good at that jailbreak screen. Cliff always schemed Justin Stockton open to just run straight down the sideline. He had such good straight line speed. We have not like tricked the defense into blitzing and then beat them with a screen, I don't think, in the last two years. And that's incredibly frustrating because plays like that can be so clutch on third and six passing downs. Like they think you're about to drop back. Yeah, we just can't execute a screen in a spot like that to save our lives, apparently. So that's something I hope that we can improve on next year. Do you have some on that money? Yeah, I was just going to say, I was looking at the box score as as we started recording, and I think Taj's longest reception was the pass he caught on, like, I think it might have been the first play from scrimmage, where he just kind of ran the flat out of bounds, barely caught it, and I think it went for, like, two yards. And it's, that's just kind of baffling to me, but, yeah. It's so much effort to get two yards, and... Like, in my opinion, if if you're running an offensive play that isn't likely to get more than three, you're being way too conservative. Like, I would rather roll the dice, chucking it 40 yards downfield, like one-on-one and just seeing what happens. And yes. if you get zero, fine. But that's better than getting two on a swing pass where you had no shot at getting any more than two yards. There are like three I'm- outcomes in a throw down the field. A catch, an interception, an incompletion. I guess there's four. Or a penalty. To the sideline. It, it you, you can't get the penalty to the sideline. I, I don't know. It just it seems like there's way less opportunity or risk demand factor there. I guess the last thing I'll say about the bowl game itself, I, I think anyway, maybe we'll get sidetracked later or I'll remember something. But two issues with your defense all year that are very much intertwined was um, havoc rate. So that's sacks and tackles for loss and forcing turnovers. You know, we looked at all that. Every every individual matchup we looked at, the other team was better at turning their opponent over than Texas Tech was. And, I mean, you you turn the ball over or you force turnovers. Uh, it almost always goes hand-in-hand hand with pressuring the quarterback. Like, yeah, you can force a fumble after the catch or against a running back. But it's usually when you force the quarterback to throw on the run, you get a tipped pass at the line. He's hit as he throws, a strip sack. 
and you saw that like Mendoza put it on the turf. Uh, we didn't recover it, but all of his interceptions, I'm pretty sure maybe one, um, he was in the pocket, but the other two, he was trying to roll out. And so I, I would love to see, like, if there's one thing this defense can do better next year uh, to become like a really kind of total package, it's pressure the quarterback a lot more consistently because one that will result in sacks, tackles for loss, all that good stuff, but even better, it'll force some turnovers. And I don't know what the deal has been with these two bowl games. That's when you force like all your turnovers and like Jackson Dart for Ole Miss was having a miserable time playing against us. And that was without Tyree Wilson. And then some guy that like nobody had heard of before, like we were all asking after his first, he stuffed a run play before he started sacking the quarterback. And we're all turning to each other like, who's 96? And we're like Googling the roster. Like, I think that's Amir Washington. It was like, is he a freshman? He's a redshirt freshman. And so he comes out of nowhere. And like he alone causes more havoc, forces more turnovers uh, than you've pretty much had all year. And so anyway, I hope we see, I hope that's just kind of like our very first glimpse at him and just the defensive line unit as a whole kind of being better at that. Um, Cause man, if this de- this defense was so good at like forcing stops, forcing punts, all that, they were put in a bad spot in terms of field position a lot of times and they bowed up and like gave you a shot to win most of the games you were playing. If you add a wrinkle to that where they're turning the opponent over, you know, two, two and a half times per game, you know, that's pretty elite and that's going to win you a lot of games. So I hope they continue building there in terms of, uh, being able to rush the passer and create havoc. Some highlights defensively: Jacob Rodriguez, seven tackles, one interception, one forced fumble, one pass defensed. He was electric. Uh, ben Roberts, five tackles, a tackle and a half for loss. Baskerville had an interception. He'll be back. And then Amir Washington, four tackles for loss, three sacks. Duda Banks, a tackle and a half for loss, one sack. Charles Esters tackles for loss, a data ray tackles for loss, and a sack. Uh, lots to enjoy there. Uh, Harvey Dyson even had a half a sack and a half tackle for loss. So, off the top of the dome, do y'all know who led Texas Tech in tackles for loss this year and how many tackles for loss he had? Uh, no idea. Let's say Jalen Hutchings. Seven. It's Jalen Hutchings, and it was either seven or seven and a half. I'd have to go double check. Uh, of course, he missed a couple games. And then you just talked about it. Amir Washington with three sacks in one game is the co-leader in sacks for the entire team. Like, that is They're not tied good. For third. Tied for third. Oh, I thought you said he was co-leader. Okay. Yeah, there, there was a four, a three and a half, a couple three and a halves, and then a bunch of threes. I mean, that's, that's not good. No. Um, and so it's not just a matter of, like, your eyes deceiving you or the stats saying one thing um, like the individual player stats, the team stats all kind of back up what we saw, which is that you didn't create enough pressure and that resulted in not turning the other team over. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to see guys like Duda Banks, who's going to be a starter next year on the interior D line. When you lose a guy like Hutchings showing a lot of promise, like he's had some TFLs this year when given the shot. And if you can kind of extrapolate that over a full 12 game sample size, it kind of makes you excited at, what he might produce next year. Uh, Cameron Valdez passed Tyler Shuck in rushing attempts last night. Did he really? Yeah. I thought that was 
Um, I thought the nail was in that coffin when he hit the portal. I was like, we're really going to have a quarterback with a broken leg from September be our second leading ball carrier. Cameron Valdez, 52 attempts. Tyler Shuck, 48 attempts. Baron Morton, 46 attempts. Interesting. Uh, all right. Let's uh, move on here. Let's go to the portal. Uh, you mentioned Cameron Valdez in the portal, but still playing. Fungi as well. Loic Fungi. Um, if he comes back, some people are really going to have to learn how to spell that guy's name. I guess he hasn't had enough catches for people to catch on, but uh, maybe we do a spelling test for uh, last names in the fall if he's back. Uh, let's see. You pick up Josh Kelly from Washington State. Uh, Good tape, good stats. You lose Jacoby Jackson after the bowl game. He enters the portal. Uh, but you have two guards in from the portal and Caleb Rogers allegedly moving inside, um, slotting above Jacoby Jackson in the in the uh, death chart, allegedly. So Jacoby Jackson... Writings on the wall. Landon Peterson going to North Texas. I wouldn't be surprised to see Jacoby Jackson join him there. But uh, what are your thoughts on Josh Kelly? I think when he gets to West Texas, he's going to love the barbecue. What What would you say is your favorite barbecue in West Texas? I would send him out to Reno Barbecue. I don't know where he he's at Fresno State and then Washington State. Highly doubt he's had any barbecue that stacks up to Reno Barbecue. It is the best barbecue in West Texas, and it's all West Texas, so therefore the best barbecue in the world. They don't miss the brisket, ribs, turkey, burgers. It's all really, really good. Give them a follow on social at Rehino BBQ to see special menu items, special offers, and order ahead online at RehinoBBQ.com to make sure your food is there when you arrive. They do run out because the lines get long. People want good barbecue. Don't let that happen to you. Order ahead. You can catch them out in Olton or going all across West Texas in the mobile food truck. Shout out to Rehino Barbecue. Josh Kelly, I'm excited about him because with the context that you're playing with an injured quarterback pretty much all year, the production was very bad across the board in the wide receiver room and you needed some juice. And losing a full-time starter like Jerron Bradley, losing a guy who – Played for you for four years, started for three of those in Miles Price. That's a lot of snaps, a lot of experience to make up for. And I think Josh Kelly's exactly what the doctor ordered. Um, I want to pull up a tidbit to make sure I get it right. But his his production versus your two leading receivers this year, which were Xavier White and Jerron Bradley going into the bowl game. Um, let me look here. So he had Josh Kelly had 923 yards this past season. Bradley and White before the bowl game, 926. So basically dead even. Josh Kelly did it on nine fewer catches. He had 61. The other two combined for 70. And Josh Kelly did it on 100 fewer snaps that he was on the field. He was on the field 535 snaps. Those other two were on the field for 634 snaps. So you have one guy occupying space on the field instead of two. And he's outproducing them despite playing fewer snaps. 
and being one guy instead of two. So a uh, very experienced player. This will be his fifth year in college. He's been incredibly productive. At, I'm just guessing here. I think he had injury issues in 2022 that kept him from playing all year, but full seasons in 2021 and 2023. In those two years combined, he had 113 catches, 1,700 yards, 11 TDs in first career. He averages a little over 15 yards per catch. He didn't have anybody that explosive this year. So as long as we can keep our quarterback healthy and, you know, scheme him open and everything, I think he's a player that has proven he can produce at this level and is a piece you desperately needed because without him, like you're looking at, I guess, playing a bunch of retro freshman types that weren't get good enough or deemed worthy enough to get playing time over a guy who's in the portal right now during the bowl game. So huge ad at wide receiver there, in my opinion. He's uh, allegedly, according to, what is it, football, sportsreference.com, this is your six. Okay, even better. In 2019. So red shirt in 19, you get the free 2020. And then played two full seasons and it looked like a six-game season there in the middle between. He played four years at Fresno State, one year at Washington State, and now a sixth at Texas Tech. Uh, seemed pretty coveted in the portal. So, yeah, come on down, Josh Kelly. We'll have you. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who lines up as starters coming out of, of next year. But I, I think you have with Brady Boyd, Koy Aiken, Jordan Brown, Dre McRae, Micah Hudson, and Josh Kelly – uh, a formidable group. I I'm really curious. Highly electric, but formidable. I'm really curious where the chips fall in terms of who plays which receiver spot. Josh Kelly used almost exclusively on the outside at Washington State. Same with Koy Aiken, you know, one of your kind of returning starters or at least guys from the two deep. And that's where Micah Hudson played in high school. I think that's sort of what he projected at, uh, at the next level. But like there's only two outside receiver spots. So somebody's either gonna have to move inside or, or be a backup. And that's not even getting into Caleb Douglas, a transfer from Florida, who I think is also built like a outside receiver. So if he comes in and like impresses in the spring, I don't know, maybe we see Mike Hudson playing in the slot. Brady Boyd and Dre McCray seem like they get moved around almost everywhere. So I think those are guys you can sort of like flex in as like backups or rotational pieces that can play a variety of positions. But anyway, that's something to monitor. Either Josh Kelly is going to move to the slot for the first time in his career or something's got to give there because you've got a lot of guys that have played almost exclusively on the outside and you've only got two spots on the field for that. So, And you've got to replace Miles Price who played exclusively in the slot. What's crazy is if you look at the Kitley offense and then going back to the Kingsbury offense, which is kind of derives from, that slot receiver position is the best most prolific position on the field. You just haven't really gotten it going with Jared Stearns back to Kiki QT, Jakeem Grant. Uh, you really want to get that guy going. You haven't done it yet. Uh, maybe Josh Kelly is the guy. Uh, let's see. Any other portal thoughts? Any other portal happenings I missed? Any any guys y'all are looking at? Any guys entered that I didn't say? It all runs together what we talked about last time. I don't think we talked about Davion Carter, the guard from Memphis last episode. We had Vinny Scurry in from Toledo, but you had another interior offensive lineman in Carter. Uh, seemingly equally thought of in terms of like PFF grade, 
recruiting rankings. Um, 23 career starts under his belt. That's good. You know, you're replacing these really old dudes in Dennis Wilburn, Rusty Stats, Cole Spencer. Um, pretty elite. Both him and Scurry graded out much better in terms of pass blocking on PFF. Uh, Davion Carter, if I remember right, allowed one sack on something like 520 dropbacks this year at Memphis. So it's a step up in competition for sure, but I don't think you can turn your nose up at a guy that was that good and at the American level. Um, especially when it seems like Taj kind of – I'm sure Taj would love to like get to the second level without having to break tackles, but it doesn't seem like he needs an elite run-blocking offensive line in order to do damage. And conversely, one of your biggest issues on offense for several years now is keeping your quarterbacks healthy. So if you force me – I would love – an all-world lineman who could do both, but if you're forcing me to lean one way, like would I rather have a pass protector versus a run blocker, probably leaning toward pass protection being more important in this offense in this moment. So I really like that ad as well. And like you said, Jacoby Jackson out the door, probably because both of those two guys, Scurry and Carter, are likely to start. I mean, you never know what can happen in the spring, but I think they're brought in to kind of be full-time starters at that guard spot. Uh, we heard this last bowl season, but Caleb Rogers might play center. Um, I, I don't know if I love that. I've never seen him play center. Um, you know, academically, student of the game, can he do it? I don't know. Uh, he seems like a vocal guy. Can he make all the calls there in the middle of the line? We'll see if he plays center next year. If if not, if it's uh, Sheridan Wilson or uh, one of those other guys that have been named – if it's uh, Caden Carr, Nick Fadig, whoever it is, somebody's playing center next year. Uh, and if they are, then Caleb Rogers probably plays right tackle again. And better or worse, you know, it's 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 something he's done for a while, uh, either left or right tackle. We know he can do it to a certain degree. And I thought at times he looks pretty good at right tackle this year. So. We'll see what happens there. I, I don't know if you're getting a whole lot better at the offensive line, but you're certainly not getting worse with these transfers in, in my opinion. Um, is that all uh, football-wise? Any Anything else? Did you see the Texas fans incredibly upset that uh, Texas Tech did a ring around the rosy tush push? To be fair, I didn't love that either. But I don't know why Texas fans care. Why not? Why didn't you love that? I just I think it looks really stupid. You said you haven't watched the playback yet. The TV announcers were baffled at what was going on. Uh, they thought Mason Tharp came out and took the snap. They couldn't see Baron Morton in front of him. He thought it was on first down. And then he was like, oh, wait, it's third and inches. He, he had no clue what was going on. Of course, he didn't have a clue what was going on most of the game. The Chiefs ran that play in a Super Bowl, right? They It was maybe in the playoffs or in a stretch run last year, but it wasn't a tush-push. It, was it was some other play off the merry-go-round action. So I'm like, do these announcers not watch football? Yeah, no, probably not. That'd be like seeing the Philly special for the first time in the Independence Bowl and being like, oh, like where did they draw that up from? It's like, yeah, people have been doing this, and – I think a couple have already imitated the Chiefs on that. Like, that's your first time seeing that. It just makes me think, especially for a guy, a professional, 
uh, color commentary guy or TV analyst, like you should probably see enough football to know that that has been run before, like not be that confused by it. He didn't know ball. They were baffled most of the game. That's sad. Uh, you'll you'll enjoy that on the rewatch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, it, it didn't bother me. The the merry-go-round thing didn't bother me. It didn't catch him off guard. But I liked uh, I liked the tush push. I like uh, getting behind him and pushing on. I thought Teeter and Mason Tharp really did their jobs. I don't think Baylor Cup knew what he was doing. <laughs> he might have been dizzy from the from the merry-go-round, but uh, you got him in there. Gunter ran around the ring uh, versus Canadian in the state semifinal. Gunter. How do you say that? I think there's a silent H. I think it's Gunther. Is it? No. Is that like sexy? Uh, hey, congratulations to all the Texas high school football champions. Uh, if not, I think we can move on to a, to a mailbag. Yeah. Kyle, if you were uh, offended by a ring around the rosy and wanted to harass somebody online and then got called out for it. What would you, what would you do? We need to put a stop to this. So I don't know if I can announce litigation on the show, but I would definitely call Barnett Howard and Williams to try to sue the NCAA to implement a rule that you cannot run the ring around the rosy in college football. Kind of doubt that's in their wheelhouse. But Barnett Howard and Williams does do criminal defense, Title IX student litigation. They can help you out in a lot of different matters. They hope you never need them. But should you need a good attorney, you have somebody solid in your corner if you do. BHWLawFirm.com if you want to learn more. All three partners are double Texas Tech grads, so you know you're getting the very best and brightest. BHWLawFirm.com for all your... Uh, suing to change the rules of college football needs. Good luck. Chip Kelly might uh, open some litigation on what he wants to do in uh, in college football. Do you see those clips from his press conference? I just saw that he wanted a commissioner, apparently. Yeah, he wants to go big 64 and little 64 and have 132 teams and two, and he wants to collectively bargain where everybody in the big 64 has the same TV payout and there's no big 10 money, SEC money. It's just all college football money. He wants to have a big NFL. And to that I say, good luck. Good luck, Chip. All right, let's, uh, let's do a mailbag. You've got mail. Mail time. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? All right. Uh, one of the small problems with the portal is the guys have to basically waive their right to do any postseason games, practices, etc., with their current team. 
Seems unfair to a degree. Would you like to see some kind of amendment change that would grant them to be able to play with their current teams during bowls? Uh, well, as we saw this weekend, some teams do allow you to play. That's a personal preference with the uh, coaches. Yeah, I, I think that's dumb. Uh, how many years until Andrew Sorrells is the athletic director at Texas Tech? Um, is Kansas State's athletic director caught up in all the nonsense over there? Yes. Are they going to bring Kirby home? I think he's, uh, you know, his kids are graduating uh, high school and he's an empty nester. He, he has the opportunity to leave if he wants to. If Kansas State does that, it could be six what's months. The buyout, what's the buyout situation? <laughs> six he's the athletic director in waiting. Well, if they fire K, if KSU fires their guy and they hire Kirby, then what's the buyout situation uh, with a contract like that? It's not like college coaching, is it? Oh, they'd have to owe us fifty million. Yeah. By this point, haven't we extended Kirby through like twenty thirty six or something? He's got a rolling contract, yeah. And he's like top five or ten paid. Hopefully, there's a good buyout in there if Kansas State wants him. Like, yeah, pay us twenty million, you can have him. What's the uh... Sounds like you're trying to get rid of him. Well, if they want to pay us twenty million, what's the uh, what's the level of what am I trying to say? How much do they like Jerome Tank? Because it's Jerome Tank versus the administration right now. Because I feel like the AD kind of laid down flat. Naquan Tomlin's already playing at Memphis, by the way. I don't think there's an AD in the country. Maybe like Joe Castiglione. I don't think there's an AD in the country that is more popular on campus and with the fan base than like a successful coach of a football basketball team. So if Kansas State finishes top four, gets another Elite Eight run, they're, they're firing the university president to keep Jerome Tang? I mean, even if, even if they don't, I feel like the fan base is already on his side. And they're like, well, the only reason we suck at basketball this year, if they do wind up sucking – is because the administration tied his hands. Like, you remember, I mean, this is a way different situation, obviously, and, like, Joe Pod been there for 60 years. But do you remember, like, the student riots and protests on campus when they first fired Joe Pa? Oh, yeah. Like, it wouldn't be like that, but I think the coach always wins the PR battle in that scenario. And then Joe Pa died. Yeah. That was a wild time, the Sandusky trials. Yeah. And then the NCAA way overreached. Took a bunch of wins away. It's for another time. Uh, the ACC and SEC only play eight conference games. Do you look at the extra conference game for the Big 12 as a collective guaranteed eight extra losses next year? Or as an eight collective guaranteed wins? In most cases, you're trading a game like Kansas or West Virginia for Maine at home. Kind of an existential question there. What exactly is the question? Like, do I prefer a nine-game conference schedule versus eight? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I prefer nine. But I, I don't know. The Theoretically, 
are you glass half empty or glass half full that the ninth conference game guarantees a conference loss to half the conference because it's a conference game. You don't theoretically get a win because you play an FCS opponent in November. No, I don't, I don't think that's good for anybody. Yeah. Money. Do you have any thoughts there? That question was kind of like those TikToks where somebody will just like walk up to somebody in public and just start mumbling things and they try to see what the other person does. I, I understood next to none of that. That was that was very confusing to me. But I am a fan of of nine conference games. I'm a fan of the NFL going to 17 over 16 games. I don't like ties or even records. Give me a leg up or a leg down either way. Here's here's something to stew on. The Big 12, since it went to the round robin, in-conference play total, all teams, combined record of 500. We've never gone better than 500 against ourselves when you take all the teams. Okay. <laughs> Neither has the Pac-12 or the ACC. Or the, like, I don't, I don't, that's what I don't get about. Like, everybody's 500 when you total with, up the final conference records. With nine games, though, you're – you can't be 500. No, the, all the teams combined are 500 against each other in conference play. Gotcha. Whether Georgia goes 8-0 or 9-0, the SEC, when you total up all of their wins and losses in conference play, is 500. But in the Big 12, you have an odd number of games. So doesn't matter. Like, you, you want to check the math? Like, how could you have how could you have anything other than 50-50 exactly in conference only? One team wins and one team loses every single game. I guess because there's 10 teams, there's 90 games total, so that'd be an even number. It'd be 45 and 45. It'd be 180 because it's like Kansas State goes 1-0, Texas Tech goes 0-1. There's two games in the record book after one game was played. Right. Okay. But you have to finish. It's like half of people are below average. What are we going to do to help them? Every conference finishes 500. In the spirit of the question, I – I don't understand the spirit of the question. I look at it as an eight collective guaranteed wins. Yeah. Is it true that Kyle is using the bowl game as a front to see where Tim Brando was born? Did you go look at the the Tim Brando childhood house? No. Does he have a monument in uh, in Shreveport? I don't know. Like you can drive around and see where somebody grew up. I did no, the uh, I, Breaking Bad tour in Albuquerque one time. I, I didn't see the Tim Brando monument, but I'll tell you, people from Shreveport, I've never seen a people group less proud to be from where they're from than Shreveport, Louisiana. It's like, I would get in an Uber, and like you can tell from the accent they're from Shreveport. It's like, hey, you know, you're from Shreveport? They're like, yeah, unfortunately. And I was like, oh. You know, like you don't like it here, and they're like, you know, would you want to live here? And I was like, I, I don't know. I've been here for one day, but they're like not fans of their own place. I've never really seen that before. You get a little bit of that in Lubbock, but uh, not as much now as maybe 15 years ago. A little self pride here lately. Uh, scenario. I don't know why y'all make me read these long questions. I can't read out loud. The popcorn reading when I was in second grade tormented me for the rest of my life. If you made a mistake in reading, they would all boo you and you'd have to go to the next person. I still have anxiety from that. Uh, Scenario, colon. The defense jumps off sides on first and 10. 
you gain eight yards on the free play. Do you decline the penalty and keep it at second and two, or do you accept the penalty and go with first and five? Would second and one or second and three change your decision? If, if a train leaves Shreveport at kickoff, um, I, I would go second and two. Where, where are you on the field? Well, honestly, what I would do, there's a spreadsheet that answers how often teams convert second and two, like how often they get a first down in that sequence of downs, and how often they get a first down on first and five. So I would honestly probably just look at that and do what the math says, a.k.a. analytics. I'm going with more net yards pretty much every time. But I do think a qualm that I have – and something that really bugs me about free plays, we saw it in the Cal game even, is when you launch the pass out of bounds on a free play, there's, there's no incentive to throwing the ball out of bounds when you know the play is going to come back. Throw it 20 yards, try and hit your guy, throw it up. If it gets picked, whatever, it's coming back. If it's a false start, they're going to blow the play dead. Maybe you have an illegal shift, but, I mean, just just throw it in bounds. See what happens. Yeah, Barron got away with one interception down the field on a on a free play. That's a better outcome because that kills the that kills the defensive spirit. If you don't see the flag and you get a pick and run it back sixty yards, and then you're like, oh damn, nothing's going right. I can't believe how many fans like at the game live don't really understand the concept of a free play because like I'm watching that and I'm like, send it deep, who cares? And then it gets gets picked off, and fans are like, "Oh no!" And I was like, "Guys, like, doesn't matter. None of this matters." And I'm like pointing, I'm like, "It's coming back. It's going." And they're like, so relieved when the ref announces what happened. I'm like, did y'all not see him jump off sides? Like, we're clearly just launching it deep because we have nothing to lose. But like, I guess people miss that. And I, I, I'm sure I have before too. But maybe you guys missed it a couple of times. <laughs> it's brutal. It's like, come on, guys. Like this, like if you watch it's football, it's if you're a color commentary guy, like you know this concept. Yeah. Defense jumps off sides, offense, Hail Mary, like whatever. Yeah. I, I can't believe they missed that. Over, under, seven and a half regular season wins next year. I'm assuming this is for the Texas Tech football team. Hold up. I, I would push it seven, so I guess I would take the under. Over. Over. Uh, do you agree with McCaslin's decision to play the long game in redshirt Drew Steph? Is it Steph or Steffi? I think it's Steph. It was Steffi until he got here, and now I keep hearing Steph. Uh, supposedly one of the best shooters in his class, supposedly. Uh, what are the chances that Steph is a Kansas Jayhawk when he's a redshirt senior? <laughs> I would say pretty low. Are, are we still doing the three-point shooting thing? Like, I've... The past five games, this is one of the best offenses in the country by any metric. I mean, it, it's a three-game sample size that threw this thing for a loop. And, and they have found their footing. They've made the right adjustments. This team is loaded at guard. Loaded. Like, is he going to get minutes over Joe Toussaint? No. Is he going to get minutes over Pop Isaacs? No. I mean, you have a guy in Demarion Williams who's not even playing. And he's played four seasons at least of college basketball at this point. Like... This is very much like what I remember whenever McCaslin first got hired and I was really digging through kind of the way that he's built programs. 
it, it is very much a long-term outlook on things. He is going to do things his way. It, it's going to feel counterintuitive at times to what other programs are doing, but he is very much a believer in getting his guys, developing them, and then maximizing them, you know, once they've learned his scheme and they can play within his system. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with it. He obviously sees something in practice that we don't. Um, if if Drew Steph was one of the best shooters in the country, I assure you he would be playing. And that's not to say that he's bad. It's just to say, look, if, if you can use a red shirt on a guy, Grant McCaslin's going to do it because that's his outlook. And quite frankly, that's what makes the most sense with this roster. I mean, right now, you, you alluded to it since the Michigan game, which is a five-game sample size now. I think we're shooting 39.7% from three. And so, like, if that's your main contribution to make up for, like, any deficiencies on defense or rebounding, you, have to, you probably have to be shooting, like, 42% from three to move the needle. And like you said, if you can shoot 42% from three, you would have been on the court already. And that's only five games. Like, it'll probably even back out a little bit. But yeah, like that's not where you need help right now. And unless he grows to seven feet tall or you're confident he can go grab like 10 boards, it's probably better to just redshirt and develop him. Would last year's team only beat Cal by six? I don't care. Say whatever you want. Pass the Kool-Aid. <laughs> uh, would Rob drive to at t Stadium for Lubbock Area High School making the state championship? I would go watch Estacado play in a state championship. I would go watch Lubbock High play in a state championship. Uh, Friendship, Cooper, probably not. Coronado, Monterey, probably not. Unless I was calling the game. Yes, absolutely, I would go. Uh, I would like to go watch a couple of days of state championships just with nobody in the – no dog in the fight. There were 33,000 at uh, the DeSoto game, I believe, setting some records here. There was 12,000 at uh, the 1A game, I think. Like, the whole town came. So, that would be really fun. You said 33,000 for DeSoto? I think so, yeah. Dang, so, like, right right up there with the Independence Bowl, it sounds like. Yes. I couldn't believe they tried to announce that in the stadium. But like, everybody, like, looked around like, there's not 33,000 people here. Uh, do you want to talk about targeting in college football and – how you would change the rule or do you want to skip that one? I think I've said it before. I'll take three seconds. I think there should be two levels of targeting one for kind of like minor, perhaps incidental infractions, maybe make that a five or 10 yard penalty, no ejection. Um, And then like an egregious when a player actually looks like he's launching with malicious intent, 15 yards ejection, like make it kind of like a flagrant one flagrant two sort of situation. Because I do think there are instances, and we've all seen it, a guy gets ejected and we're like, what are we doing here? There's no reason why that should be an ejection. And so I, I would like to take that part out of the game. This is an interesting question. Uh, is it wrong to re-gift? If not, is there a minimum period of years before re-gifting? If the intended recipient of said gift doesn't know it's a re-gift, you could do it the next day. If somebody gives me a candle, and I know that person B would love this candle and I'm going to a Christmas party at their house tomorrow. I'm taking the candle. Like what's the harm there? Yeah. I don't see how the timeline really impacts things. Um, I do think there are probably certain people in your life. You shouldn't re gift to like, well, probably. Yeah. 
Like if it's your wife, yeah, I would probably say you'd be better served putting enough thought into that to get like an original gift. But if it's like, hey, office party, white elephant, sure, like re- re-gift it. And like, where exactly do you draw the line on that? Like, how close friends are we? Are we re-gifting kind of friends or do they get a, a legit gift? That's for you to decide. But I think everybody should have at least like three or four people in their life that are perhaps above being re-gifted something. But if someone gifted you something, let's say that is right up your dad's alley of expertise and you're like, okay, my dad would really enjoy this. What's the harm in re-gifting that? Yeah. I think in a special circumstance like that, it's fine. Or you could go get like that same gift or same type of gift. Like if it's a fishing rod and your dad loves fishing, You'd be like, well, that's a good idea. I'll go get him a different fishing rod like that I pick out. But, you know, I don't know. Sure. Is uh, gift giving your love language? Uh, no, I usually actually struggle to come up with good gift ideas. I do enjoy it when I feel like I, you know, think of something good and execute. Um, but I, I have a hard time doing that. It would actually surprise me if you knew your love language. Have you taken the quiz or read the book? Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I can't remember all of them. Okay. We don't have to get into words, it, right? Words of affirmation, physical touch, gift giving. Money, money. what would you think about a re-gift? If I give you a re-gift that you didn't know was a re-gift, would you be offended? Not at all. I think it depends on if there's any sentimental value to the item like if somebody gives me like something that they clearly like thought of and envisioned that i would like i I don't think i would let go of it in fact like i've i've held on to gifts before that i've never used because somebody like really thought it was a good gift for me but i just did not have any use for it but i'm like man i can't let go of this like this person thought of me that was really nice i gotta i gotta hold on to this but if, if you're like giving me socks like those things are going to the office. I'm I'm sorry. Like that's going to be a really good present for, for my boss. Like he's going to love fuzzy socks. Rob, you keep on adding the context of like, if they don't know it's a regift, yeah. they shouldn't know. Like you can't announce that when you're giving to like, Hey, somebody gave this to me at the office and I think it sucks. So here you go. Like, well, that would be like, if, if, if you, if you got a gift and then the next Christmas you gave it to your wife and she's like, I remember you getting this. Oh gift. yeah. That's, 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 what I, that's what I was talking about. That's gauche. Um, Ryan like, says words like, of affirmation are his love language. So yeah. comment below your love language if you feel so inclined. Ryan, I appreciate you as a listener. You're always great at giving feedback on our various shows. There you go. Uh, let's see. How awesome is that home playoff game in Lubbock going to be one year from now? Pass the Kool-Aid, baby. Over under one and a half kickoff return touchdowns for Dre McCray next season. Under. 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 Yeah, that's hard to do. You got one. Uh, Describe your perfect first Adidas uniform. Black helmets, no stripes, red double T, 3D or not. Black uniform, Red pants, white uniform, 
black pants. Old school double T. I think you should have one helmet and one helmet only, a black helmet. No stripes. No red, no white. Um, tops, you should have black, red, white. Bottoms, you should have black, red, white, gray. If you want to do that Zach Thomas, black, black, gray combo. That's it. Other than that, just like a conventional three-stripe look. I don't need any fancy Oregon crap, reflective nonsense, stupid fonts. Chevrons. No chevrons. Don't need any of that. Just look at what we wore in the 90s yeah. and do that. Uh, honestly, the Kansas uniform from this year in red and black. Yeah. Got no problem with that. Start bench cut beer draft can bottle. I am a can man on the go. I would prefer a draft to a bottle, so I would say can draft bottle. Starting draft, benching can, cutting bottle. So another part of the Shreveport experience was going to a bar asking for draft beer and it being poured into a plastic cup. That was a first. I've had draft beer in a plastic cup, usually on like a golf course or at a tailgate, not in an establishment. A kegger. Yeah, so like that sort of tainted for me, like are we talking in an ice-cold mug here or in a plastic cup? But I'll start bottle, bench draft under like, you know, pretty normal circumstances and then cut cans, but I, I still like cans. One of all, one of the picadors, the most recent picador of the week, will ask for a glass if he's delivered a, a beer in a bottle uh, at a table. And I thought that was interesting the first time I saw him do that. But hey, if you like a draft, you like a draft. Create your own draft. Sorry, uh, I took a tour of the Molson Coors facility here in Fort Worth. Nice. Uh, Miller Lite was actually like invented and first brewed in Fort Worth back in the 70s, I think. More you know. And they make more cans than bottles. They said it was like 65 to 75% cans. So about two to one cans to bottles, it sounds like, out there in the world. If I was being picky, I would say aluminum bottle. That's my all-time favorite. Yeah, that helps keep it cold for sure. Uh, three straight bowl wins by 17-plus points versus Power 5 opponents. How do you feel? Pass the Kool-Aid. I know that like everybody's hard to say in one thing and their minds are saying, they're like, you know, fool me once, fool me, can't get fooled again, strike three. But I, I just don't want to live that way. Like, we're nine months out. Hype me up. I'm not going to hedge and be like, well, we said that last year. We're probably going to go five and seven. No. I, and I totally understand if you want to live that way, if it's going to help you approach next football season in the right frame of mind, all good. But I'm not going to live my life that way. I'm hedging. Uh, thought about <laughs> the bowl trophy. I need the eagle screech uh, drop in there. Thoughts on the bowl trophy. What's your favorite bowl trophy? I don't know that I could tell you any other bowl trophies. Same reaction as you. I, I'd never seen the Independence Bowl trophy before. Or if I had, I didn't remember it. I was I was impressed by 
just the sheer mass of that trophy. I really like the old crystal ball. I thought that was a great sure. national championship trophy. I think it's better than the tube or whatever the heck they give you now. Yeah. So I'd give, bring back the crystal ball in terms of like all-time trophies. I like the, the Duke's Mayo thing. That, yes. that always seems to be a lot of fun. Oh, the uh, the French fry, the Idaho potato bowl where they dump French fries. That's not really a trophy where they dump French fries on the coach. Would you take a would you take a vat of mayonnaise if you won a bowl game? If you're the head Dep- coach. Depends on the bowl game, like the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Yeah, well, no, it's not some random bowl. It's the, it's the Mayo Bowl. Yeah. I mean, if I was head coach, like you have to, but yeah. I like the orange bowl, like large trophy with actual oranges in it. I think that's cool. Yeah. The Rose Bowl, they pass out roses. Uh, do you still feel that Baron Morton's ceiling is really high? I think so. I mean, you just see it in certain instances, but again, can that be done 85 plays at a time every week? Um, and it's so hard to say too, like if you were throwing with a sprained shoulder all year, like how, how much can you take away from that? It's like uh, the, the fan in us wants to say, well, he was good in these spots despite the injury. So we're only going to take the good and all the bad is excused because of the shoulder, but like a shoulder doesn't cause you to miss a read or something like that. So I don't know. I think he's probably among the three most important individual players for next year's team with how good you seem to look at all the other position groups on offense. Like if you can't get good quarterback play, how much is all that going to matter and vice versa? If you can get really good quarterback play, you know, that could be a unit without much weakness. So I I guess we'll find out, but I think that's probably like maybe the biggest question, Um, probably rushing the passer and and quarterback play next year. Yeah, I think I want to see him behind a better offensive line or at least an offensive line that's better suited to protect the pass. I want to see him fully healthy or at least somewhat healthy for the majority of the season. And then part of getting a guy to hit their ceiling or at least get somewhere close to it is scheming around it. And he is not going to hit his ceiling throwing smoke screens and slants 30 times a game. That's just, it doesn't feel like what I saw from his tape in high school. Like this guy's not a game manager. This is, this is a guy that can let it fly. And so keep him healthy, scheme around it, get him some weapons that can create some separation on the outside. And then that's how I think you take a step towards that. But I think I think he's got some work to do. Like he still has a couple of those reads every season where he just kind of misses it. Um, but that's not to say that I don't think that could be corrected with film and just staying healthy and being better protected. And reps. Oh yeah. He didn't practice all year. He was just playing in games once a week. Uh give him the spring as the starting quarterback with the ones. And I think he'll be better. And hey. Rip it. Let him rip it. That is Baron Morton ripping it. That throw to Eakin in the end zone might have been the best passing play of the season. Unless I'm missing like a, a deep pass somewhere, but UCF uh to Dre McCray, not the touchdown, not the long touchdown, but where he threw it outside the numbers and Dre McCray adjusted and kind of slid under it. That was a really good throw. 
And the Miles Price touchdown against Houston, maybe. Just throw a couple more passes that you probably shouldn't. That, yes. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Uh, over under, how soon was there some kind of alcoholic beverage in Morton's MVP trophy? What alcohol was it? I feel like Baron uh, mixes in a beer or two, but I feel like he gets a little saucy sometimes. I don't know. Seems like he could uh, put him back. Uh, is the MLS afraid of the Lubbock Matadors since the entire league backed out of the U.S. Open Cup? Did you see the Matadors are in the Open Cup? It's a cross-league tournament. Uh, seems pretty cool. Yeah, I think MLS is definitely afraid to let us in because they know we would run that thing. Could you imagine uh, Inter-Miami coming to Lubbock with Messi? playing at the <laughs> the Lubbock High School uh, Stadium. Let me ask you a different question. Can you imagine if the Mozos grew to like 10,000 strong and they had like a whole corner of a much bigger stadium? Oh, yeah. That'd be fun. Uh, I'm loving the Renaissance. Are you? Renaissance. Oh. He looks really confident when he shoots from three, and it usually looks really smooth. I don't know if he'll shoot 60% all year. I kind of think maybe that'll come down just a, a hair. But, yeah, he's a huge piece for you right now, um, especially with kind of just the approach we're taking, uh, putting up a lot of threes. You're going to need to make a good number of those to keep generating offense and remain competitive in some of these games, and he's certainly doing more than his part um, at this point right now. So. Yeah, sign me up for the Kerwinnesons. He has zero turnovers this year. Wow. Zero. And like That's eight awesome. fouls. Like, so even if you look beyond what he's doing behind the arc, which is impressive, he's playing really good defense right now. Really, yeah. really good defense right now. I think he had like five stocks against Vanderbilt, which is steals and blocks. And then just not turning the ball over whatsoever and not getting himself in foul trouble. It's a really good player. In relative terms, where does this rank in the most fun tech athletic days with a 20-point win over a Power 5 opponent in both football and hoops? Um, let's, let's see. February 19th, 2021. You played and won a baseball game after you beat Texas. In a basketball game. That was fun. You might have lost that baseball game, actually. I think you walked off Michigan the night before. Uh, I guess if you're going to sports, though, this is probably up there. I, one of the next questions is start, bench, cut trophies. Independence Bowl, Texas Bowl, Liberty Bowl. I would cut the Independence Bowl trophy. Uh, not as a trophy, but as a game. I thought the Liberty Bowl was the most important because you were coming out of the bowl drought and it was Cumby versus Leach. Then I would say last year's was a bigger bowl than this year. So of the three bowls, this one probably mattered the least. I think I thought the question was about like trophy design. So I'm going to answer it that way. I'm sure it was, but I answered it differently. I'll start independence bowl trophy bench, Liberty bowl slash Liberty bell trophy. 
and cut. I don't remember the Texas Bowl trophy. I remember Joey and Chuck wearing cowboy hats and the money falling down because Tax Act was a sponsor. But I don't remember the trophy itself. Let's see. Certainly wasn't as memorable as a giant bald eagle or a Liberty Bell. So it's it's kind of a crystal shaped flat football esque shape. Yeah, with cut. the Texas Bowl logo in the middle. Cut. It's kind of a generic trophy. Uh, would you cut Kadarius Tony? That's in the questions. Yes. Do you have a a fun day you remember in tech athletics where maybe two two things happened in one day? No, this is not the question you asked, but the uh, the spring of 2019, you had a run to Omaha, a men's natty and outdoor track, and the Final Four run. Yeah, that's obviously not on the same day or even in the same month, but I remember that stretch of, I think that was all within about two months, maybe a little more by the time you got to Omaha, and that was pretty incredible to see like three sports finish their seasons, three different sports finish their seasons in the same semester. Um, that far, you know, advanced toward the championship was pretty incredible. If we're going 24 hour window, it would be walking off Michigan and then playing Texas because I watched it at Texas Live. That was pretty fun with all the baseball fans there. Uh, what are your two favorite Under Armour tech uniforms you'll miss? The Somebody first, back. yeah, old school double T throwback that you did in 2014 against Arkansas. And then I guess the away game version of that same throwback. Yeah. Um, kind of like the white, red, whites, the, the 70s era. But I don't like those as much as the black helmets. With the with the stars on the helmet? Yeah. I'm sure Adidas can replicate those just as well. Uh, did we wear the throwback this year? Tarleton State. Tarleton State. I like I those a lot. The, those I are nice. Remember, yeah. The Donnie oh. Anderson throwbacks. Is there anything better than the D getting good penetration? Um, not really. And that's another thing I forgot to mention in terms of pros this season is Tim DeRuiter's defense, very good against good running backs. Like Jaden Ott, we talked about him right on par with Taj Brooks all year. You hold him to 42 yards, I think. R.J. Harvey, um, Oregon didn't do a ton. Trying to remember some others. Oh, uh, Devin Neal had one, broke one really long run on that speed option. Besides that, you had him pretty bottled up. So I feel like you faced some really good running backs. Um, C.J. Donaldson sort of had a little bit of a sophomore slump, but highly thought of coming into the year, and you kept him very much in check. So I was impressed by how – how well we defended the run against primary ball carriers pretty much all year. And part of that's by getting penetration, as alluded to in the question. Big fan of penetration. Uh, is there anything less surprising than finding out that Don Williams is not a casino guy? Were you surprised by that money, that uh, Don Williams is not a casino fan? No. I did like his response. That if he wanted to throw away money, he would just give it to some kid in need. <laughs> Classic. Uh, do you feel that uh, last night's offense was what Kidley had been envisioning all season? 
I answered it in the Discord a little bit. I'm I'm happy that we won by 20, but if we're envisioning 6 yards per pass attempt, then I certainly hope not. Agreed. I, th uh, I, th I think seven, seven and a half is like normal. And so when you're playing a, an atrocious pass defense and you're a full yard, yard and a half under that, to me, that's a bit of a red flag. If you can run that exact offense, but not have guys just fall down while they catch the ball or have to dive for the ball, there was a lot of that last night. If there's just some semblance of yak with that offense, it's it looks so much better. Like you 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 look at the side the sideline throws for most of the season, they look like dog shit. I'm just gonna try to stop cussing here, but uh dog crap because nobody broke a tackle, and then you break a couple tackles in the bowl game, it's like, oh the sideline throws work kind of. Uh let's let's try those to the wide receivers at the edge. Um but you just have like you see CD Lamb catch a ball for the Cowboys on the sideline and get 15 yards because he breaks two and a half tackles. It's like that's that's why you throw the sideline throw. But you just never had that this year. Uh so with Josh Kelly and Micah Hudson and Jordan Brown, maybe break a few more tackles next year and get a little more athletic. Uh, how good is Jacob Rodriguez's stash? Anybody see Jacob Rodriguez's stash? It's very good. It was funny whenever he was wearing, or I guess he had taken his helmet off, and he and Barron had that clip of them lifting the trophy. Um, it was kind of funny. It looked like they kind of lifted it up, held it for like two seconds, and then looked at each other and were like, well, this is kind of heavy. Like, this is a giant trophy. Let's put this down. They only held it up for a few seconds. Uh, should Kyle have gone to watch Tech basketball play 206 in Ken Palm or gone to the bowl game and watch Tech play the 125th ranked defense? Any thoughts there? I think he chose what he wanted to do, and I think that's uh, his prerogative. I feel like that was addressed to y'all. Unless I would refer to myself in third person. Uh, did we win because Kyle put a hundred dollars money line on Cal as an emotional hedge? So people are saying. Many are saying. Uh, what's your favorite broadcast pair slash group across all sports you watch? Uh, I still like Buck and Aikman. I think Mike Tirico is the best play-by-play -play voice in the NFL right now. Uh, could do without Collinsworth, but he doesn't bother me as much as some other guys. Burkhart and Olsen are really good. If Olsen shut the hell up every once in a while, he talks so much. Uh, same thing with Tony Romo. Tony Romo just talks too much. Um, but I, I would listen to them. And then uh, Kevin Harlan is one of the goats. I like Reese Davis. That might be a hot take, but I, I like them. They had them on that NFL game a few weeks back with like Dan Orblowski, and that crew was terrible, man. They were so bad, but he was holding it down on the play-by-play. -play. And then I really like Mike Breen. Shout out to the New York Knicks. Um, that's not really a pair, but hey, let's, let's get those two together and see what happens. I like Herb Street and Davis. I just hate that it seems like every game they call is – Ohio State, Alabama, 
it's like I, I wish that y'all would go watch kind of like the the grassroots of college football and you know if it was I don't know I'm trying to think of a good example like Arizona versus yeah U- Utah in like a year where they're both in the top twenty five like I would love that broadcast um, but I just don't. Uh, I don't watch the sport now from the vantage point of like really wanting to see Alabama versus um, Mississippi State on ESPN, and so that's usually the kind of game that that duo gets the call for on Saturday night. Um, but yeah, I like them. I uh, I wish that like Tim Brando and Gus Johnson would get in the booth together because that would be good content. Why? Because it would be like the, terrible. The nicknames back and forth would be brutal. Yeah. I uh I could also say I I hate Tim Brando. Uh Petrus Papadakis has the worst voice in sports. Yeah, I'm not a big Petros guy. I thought everybody was out on him, and then this year I started seeing some pro Petros kind of stuff, and I was surprised by that. He 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 knows what he's talking about and he he doesn't bother me like with how he calls the game. It's just his voice is annoying. I still don't like Joel Klatt either. Yeah, I will always hate Joel Klatt after the infamous uh, buddy guy situation. Our friend Reed wants me to move on so bad. He's like, dude, it was three years ago. I'm like, I don't I'll care. Never, I still don't like him. I will never. I love Gus Johnson. I know a lot of people don't, but I don't listen to. I don't. I don't uh, watch as many Fox games anymore because uh, Joel Klatt. That Colorado bum. I do think we could do better at some of the highest levels, like these exclusive games on Amazon Thursday night. Those are terrible. With yeah. Herb Street is out of his element calling NFL, and Al Michaels has lost a step or two. Oh, at least. Yeah, or, or three or four. And I feel like Monday night – who's Monday night football now? Buck and Aikman. Okay. Uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm fine with that. For a while, though, it was like Booger and – I miss Sean McDonough. He was good. Yeah, he's back in uh, He's back in college, or he does some NFL. What does he do now? Jason Witten was terrible, too. I saw him the other day. Sean McDonough, does he do the Notre Dame games? He, he does college now for sure, but I can't quite put a finger on, like, which conference he – I will say they ruined uh, – my favorite crew the last couple of years was Mark Jones, RG3. And then they moved RG three to some other guy, and he's not—he's not quite as funny with without Mark Jones. That was a really funny. Pick. I think for a B team crew, I don't know the guy's name, but the guy who is a partner with Devin Gardner—he's the play-by-play guy, and Devin Gardner does color. Yeah, I think he's pretty good um, for like usually getting like a third or fourth tier Big Twelve game on FS one. I think he does a good job. Like he punches above yeah. his weight calling games like that. Certainly better than some of the uh, A-game guys. Uh, why does Kyle hate fun? I, that's news to me. I guess that's the uh, the merry-go-round. You hated the merry-go-round and that's fun for some people? It, if that's fun, then have fun. Uh, inbounds or out of bounds, bringing up a two month old fantasy football smack talk receipt in the group text after eliminating the guy who was the perpetrator of said smack talk money. Would you bring up two month old beef, uh, after eliminating 
said beef bringer? Of course. You talk, we keep the receipts. That's what being petty is for. I, I, only, for I only swing back. For some added context to this strict hypothetical, let's say, let's say early in the season, you trade away Trevor Lawrence, or excuse me, you trade away Justin Fields and a suspended Alvin Kamara. Justin Fields stinks, by the way. And a suspended Alvin Kamara in return for Trevor Lawrence, one of the brightest up-and-coming quarterbacks in a good offense. And it doesn't quite pan out through the first half of the season. Trevor Lawrence kind of stinks. Justin Fields has a few games where he goes off. AK comes back from suspension, is doing really well. And you have the gall in the group text in front of everybody, not to me directly, in front of all of our friends, to be like, oh, thanks for the trade. I Justin Fields is the best quarterback in the league, and you threw in Alvin Kamara for free. And then on Sunday night football, with the only player remaining in the game is Trevor Lawrence, who you derided two months ago, and he puts me over the top to eliminate you, I'm going to bring it up in the group text. So I hit reply on a text from like October 13th, and I'm proud of it. And someday they will learn their lesson and go, I'll wait till the end of the year. I'll wait till Kyle's out of the playoffs, and then I'll unleash the smack talk about how stupid his trades were. But until that day comes, I will keep the receipts, and I will keep swinging back. Does Trevor Lawrence have like eight points tonight? He, I needed like three, and I was I waited all half for him to finally get it so I could send that text. Did you send the text after he was running and just fumbled? Out of uh, nowhere. Yeah. No, he, I was worried though, because like he had no points through like the first almost two quarters. And he got rolled up and he's playing with a sprained ankle. I was like, oh my God, I'm about to lose by one and a half points because he re-injured it. But he got up and it was good. Oh my god. I was worried though. I was worried. Hilarious. The fact that you not only swung back as you colloquially said but responded to the actual text from October. That makes it even better. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you follow along the Gambling Gauchos Twitter feed, you uh, you know that Kyle does swing back emphatically. Uh, all right. Final thoughts. Used to. Final thoughts. put those days behind me. <laughs> final thoughts? Uh, yeah, hang on. Money, any final thoughts while he looks his up? Texas Tech's next three opponents in basketball are UT Arlington, Sam Houston State, and North Alabama. They are all higher in Ken Palm right now than Vanderbilt. So look for three games for Texas Tech to continue to tune up a little bit in light of Cambridge absence before the big boy games get started January 6th. Here's my and happy final. holidays. Oh. Happy yes. holidays. Happy holidays. Here's my final thoughts. Actually, I'm going to pose it as a question first. Uh, 2010, the first season without Mike Leach as head coach through 2021, the last season without Joey McGuire as head coach, Texas Tech football played 109 Power 5 teams in that 12-year span, 12 seasons. Can you guess our record in those 109 games? Uh, let's see. Did you win 40 or less? You won 40. Exactly 40. That's, that's incredible. I am sharp. (laughs) 40 and 69. Wow. In 12 seasons. That's a 36.7% win rate against power five competition. Like, 
one and three plus a little bit. No bueno. That is why it's such a tough stretch for tech fans. You had like one or two blips on the radar, like the eight and five holiday bowl win. You're like, okay, sweet. Like very little beyond that. Two seasons. Joey McGuire's played 23 games against teams currently in the power five, 13 and 10. That's 56 and a half percent win rate. So basically plus 20 percent of you against power five competition, which is right in line with uh, big 12 record, obviously heavily correlated here. That's most of the power five teams you play. And I think we're now eight and two in November, December. And you were something like, I don't know, 30, 30%. In, uh, in November before Joey got here in that 10 or 12 years. So I know I know we took our lumps this season. It wasn't perfect. I know losing in Laramie sucks. I know losing by 50 to Texas sucks. Trust me, I know sitting in the cold at the Independence Bowl in Shreveport sucks compared to some of the bowl games we thought we might be playing in. But you're not without some pretty, I think, tangible – forward progress and momentum. And that's like, aside from all the recruiting stuff, which we talked about that a little bit, we'll see where everything lands in the portal. It seems like you're going to have a top 15 portal class, top 20, 25-ish high school class. So color me still optimistic going forward. I've probably led on a little bit um, in terms of the sunshine pumping. I know that's not what some people want to hear. But that's where I'm at. I still feel really good about our overall trajectory, feel really good about this coaching staff and the future. Wish this season could have delivered one or two more key wins to kind of make it a little bit a little bit more palatable. But I, I still feel good. I think that's a good note to end on. I was going to push that when you finished it. Then I, it was a little uh, air trigger there. It's like getting the hook on, uh, on stage. Man. Like, Kyle, the red light is flashing. Shut up. If Rabbit sacked the Wyoming quarterback. Don't do this to me. And you finished eight and five. How much different is this year? Uh, even if even if you take them to overtime, but they're in the deep end of the pool and they drown and you don't, that the season is completely different. So I I mean, one play difference. And in between eight and five and seven and six, I'm I'm down with. And uh, as you said, the recruiting's looking up. Go Raiders! That was really loud, by the way. All right, that's it. That's all I got. Love y'all. Merry Christmas. I think we'll have another episode before Christmas, but. It's a big Christmas guy, so I I wish people Merry Christmas all December. Huge Christmas guy.